Hello, everyone. I'm Andrew DeCaros with the University of Utah's College of Social and Behavioral Science, and welcome to Be the Solution podcast. In this podcast, we'll bring together faculty, students, researchers, and community leaders to engage in conversation around some of the most critical social and environmental issues facing our world today. Today, our host Elizabeth Johnson is joined by Assistant Professor in the Department of Economics, Dr. Sarah Small. Dr. Small's research focuses on issues of gender, intra-household bargaining, care markets, and history of economic thought. She has formerly held research positions at Duke and Rutgers Universities and earned her PhD in economics from Colorado State University. In this week's conversation, Dr. Small contextualizes the remarkable triumph of this summer's Barbie feature film and the resounding tours of Taylor Swift and Beyonce as an indicator of women's purchasing influence, progress towards female equity and financial liberation, and how it might reshape future market landscapes. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Be the Solution. I am your host, Elizabeth Johnson. I am a communication specialist at the College of Social and Behavioral Science. Today, we have a distinguished guest with us, Dr. Sarah Small. She is a faculty member renowned for her work in feminist economics. We'll be delving into female purchasing power and its broader economic implications. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Sarah, let's jump right in. In a recent article by the Wall Street Journal, they proclaimed that women owned the summer, and they are referring to the booming success of the Barbie movie, the Eras Tour, and the Beyonce Tour. Have you seen the Barbie movie or gone to either of these concerts? <laughs> I've seen the Barbie movie. Uh, I'm an economist, Barbie, but <laughs> uh, I haven't been able to go to Taylor Swift or, or Beyonce, but it would be great if I could. The recent success of the Barbie movie has sparked a lot of interest in the female purchasing power. It has already grossed over a billion dollars worldwide. I believe the number as of a week ago was $1.28 billion worldwide. To put that number into perspective, this is the 21st highest ranking film of all time and the second highest grossing film ever of Warner Brothers. It is only beat by Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which was released in... 2011. Wow. On top of that, the movie has over a hundred brand deals. I read that when the trailer hit, it broke the internet because of that iconic scene, which I'm sure everybody has seen by now. And it's of Margot Robbie stepping out of the pair of pink fuzzy mules. Once that scene hit the internet, Google trend searches for fuzzy mules jumped 115%. (laughs) So from the lens of a feminist economist, How do you interpret this commercial success? Yeah, um, I mean, it's exciting, right? Uh, But as a feminist economist, I think, you know, I study a lot of issues of like gender uh, equality and economic life. So I study, um, you know, things like uh, power and patriarchy and social provisioning and how all of that like plays a role in our economic decision making. Um, And for many decades, right, kind of a, a core tenant of feminist economics and its critique of mainstream economics has been that there's been this like traditionally masculine, you know, bias in the field and like the types of questions we ask and how we answer those questions. And I think that the Barbie movie reflects like really similar trends in film, right? Like for so long, there's been this masculine bias in so many industries, including film. 
Um, but we're seeing, right, movies by women, about women, better reflect how women are actually feeling, right? And offers a, a better reflection of our lives, right? So I'm not really um, too surprised that it's success, right? Uh, but I also think, right, that like part of the popularity of the Barbie movie is like the fantasy of it all. Um, you know, in the film, they talk about how Barbie's like broken all these glass ceilings in her career, uh, even if it's like her fictional workplace, right? Uh, but I think the movie also like really highlights how fed up women are with being exclusively defined by like unpaid care work. Um, I don't know, you've already seen the movie, but <laughs> as a, a spoiler, maybe, right? The movie opens with these little girls playing with baby dolls and then they you know, kind of trash them in favor of playing with Barbie, who's like a, a grown woman, right? And um, Barbie doesn't have any care burdens, right? Like in Barbie land, there's no children, right? There's no elderly people, there's no sick people. Um, so, you know, like the, all this care work that so often keeps women from market-based success in the real world isn't really like a present in, in Barbie land. Um, and of course, you know, this isn't a realistic depiction of our lives as as women, but uh, kind of this imagined utopia, which is exciting. Um, right? I, I think maybe you remember in the movie, there's that one part where they tease the like the pregnant Barbie and like, oh, she's so weird, right? Uh, but it becomes so clear, right, in that moment that the movie is not about women in the care economy. Um, in fact, if there if there were kids in Barbie land, I'd be so curious to see like who's who would take care of them, right? Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know what this says about like social attitudes towards gender roles. Again, like maybe we're all just so tired of being, uh, defined by and having to do so much unpaid care work. But, um, you know, this is something I think feminist economists have, have urged us to take seriously, um, for decades. Right. Uh, and now that we're facing this, um, you know, exciting Barbie movie where, <laughs> where, where we can see all this unfolding. It's it's uh, interesting to think about how we might actually deal with with care in the real world. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating insight. I don't think I'll be able to look at Barbie land the same after that. <laughs> in your response, you mentioned that the Barbie movie was an avenue for women to express their voice and maybe even their frustrations. I think that's a notable parallel between this movie and these successful female artists who are often praised for encapsulating the female experience through their music. And I think that largely contributes to the success of these tours. In fact, a national study reports that each concert goer is spending on average $1,300. Not only are cities embracing these tours, but national leaders are petitioning with respect to the Eras tour that Taylor Swift add their countries to her future concert dates. What does the success of these tours say about female agency and their purchasing power? Yeah, great question and uh, exciting to see, right? I mean, there are a lot of kind of spillover effects from these from these concerts. Um, I'd say that, right, like the phenomenon of you know, women spending money generally isn't super new, right? I mean, women have often been kind of holding the purse strings or managing household budgets in their in their home for, for many decades. Um, and there's, in fact, I think some exciting research that shows, you know, if we give women uh, financial assistance, they'll often spend it on their families and their communities and, um, you know, the well-being of those groups, rather than uh, if we give financial assistance to men, it often ends up going towards things like entertainment. 
Um, but I think this is a striking departure from that, right? What's I, I think so exciting about it is that it's clear that women are um, spending money on things for themselves, right? They're not spending money on things that are necessarily for their children or their families. Um, and a lot of, you know, feminist scholars point to leisure as the ultimate signal of liberation. Uh, and I think for women to be you know, spending so much time this summer on leisure activities is uh, a great signal of that. Uh, and I think, right, a lot of what we're seeing with the spillover effect is women in particular are, you know, maybe going uh, to get their nails done with their friends before they go, right? And um, spending time with each other, which is also really powerful. And I'm hoping it's, um, you know, going to build some solidarity among among women, which I think would be exciting to see in terms of, you know, pushing for social change and, and momentum going forward. Um, and I think, you know, uh, this also sends a powerful message to firms who typically will target men as consumers. Uh, it really, I think the success of all of these concerts and movies really uh, speaks to the idea that firms can't just make it pink and expect women to to buy it. I think women's voices really need to be heard, right, in the design and implementation of any product, right? The fact that Beyonce and Taylor Swift are such, um, you know, phenomenal lyricists, and you talked about how they illustrate so much, you know, depth of a woman's perspective on the world. I think that's really why they're so successful. Um, and for so long, right, like products have been designed with men in mind and been designed by men. I think, you know, one powerful example that maybe a lot of folks already know uh, is in like car safety tests, right? Like car seats and seat belts have been designed for men. Right? And a lot of uh, research has been on, done on this. And one study even found that women are in car crashes that are, you know, similar in severity to men. Uh, women are actually almost 50% more likely to be seriously injured. Uh, and there's just so many examples of this, right, from like tech to medicine and, and entertainment. Um, so really, you know, the success of these concerts and movies should be uh, a signal to, to industry that we need more women's voices to be heard, especially in uh, design and implementation of goods and services, uh, and also <laughs> in terms of like lyricism and, and script writing. I, I love that you're talking about how women will spend typically their money on their families and communities, but then we're seeing a shift with that. Because even myself, when I was planning on going to that concert, I was so ready to bring my son, my baby son to that concert <laughs> with me. because I thought it would just be such a wonderful core memory to share that experience with my son. Of course, he was way too little, but I've seen lots of my friends uh, pay these premium prices for tickets for their, you know, daughters that are maybe five or six years old, and they're doing that because they want to share that experience with them and show them powerful women doing really cool things. There was an article that was published in Variety in March of this year, which examines the top 100 grossing films of all time. Strong female protagonists were only represented in 33% of those movies. So clearly, there needs to be more diversity, more inclusivity in every industry, as you mentioned. As a female economist, can you explain why the media and other industries need to produce more content showcasing diversity, inclusivity, and strong female leads? Yeah, certainly. I think role models have been proven to be so important in so, so many industries, right? I mean, even in 
uh, in my field, economics, right, we've seen that like when undergraduate women have uh, women as their economics professors, this improves their likelihood of taking taking more economics classes. Um, and the case of media is so special because it reaches so many people, right? It has a huge impact. So just like you said, right, when when folks are um, taking their daughters to see Barbie or Taylor Swift and they they see these, um, you know, women doing these big things, it's exciting. Um, I think, uh, though, I don't want to place like too much, <laughs> too much weight in kind of like the like movie or, or concerts kind of success and improving gender equality in like media and entertainment industries, right? Um, I think to to get to gender equality in any industry, we need to invest more in, uh, you know, gender equality in, in issues like unpaid work, right? And having more flexible work policies so that we can um, include folks in these spaces. But also, um, you know, your question about media is so interesting because, you know, you highlighted there's so many... Um, movies about about men right all these top grossing films about men uh and not so many about women which of course it'd be great to see more movies about women from women's experiences right written and directed by women but i also think you know in order to really start to encourage equality in unpaid work it'd be super cool to see more movies about like men doing care work right like i want to see more movies about uh dads right <laughs> taking care of their kids i want to see more movies about men uh, being elementary and preschool teachers. I want to see more movies about men in nursing, right? I mean, I think uh, we've had this huge push for so long to encourage young girls to go into STEM, which is so important and so exciting. At the same time, I think we need to start thinking about uh, encouraging men to, to tap into right, this, this care market, right? And be able to um, contribute meaningfully in those spaces. So uh, I'd be excited to watch a movie about, you know, a, a single dad taking care of his kid, right? I'd like to see more of those, but um, uh, it's all so exciting. Wow, that's really interesting. I love your insight and you're right. There just needs to be diversity across the board, not just for female protagonists, but more inclusivity in male roles and their um, experiences as well. Can you share some of your insight on how the Barbie movie, the Eras tour and the Beyonce tour have challenged traditional economic models how they have maybe reinforced them? And are there any new economic models we should consider moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so much excitement about, you know, women spending all this money and kind of the macroeconomic spillover effects of these, um, you know, big concerts and movies. Um, I don't know that there, I think, it, you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot of difference in terms of, uh, who is necessarily spending the money and how this should inform our macroeconomic modeling, right? I mean, uh, consumerism, consumerism, and I think, you know, marketing experts have known for a really long time kind of how to prey on women's insecurities to make a buck. Uh, and I think just because now they're maybe leaning into themes of women's empowerment doesn't necessarily make our, our economic modeling different. But I think, um, you know, feminist economists have for a long time been arguing that economic models don't take women's lived economic experiences seriously, right? Um, households no longer look like, uh, you know, one man who participates in paid work and a woman who stays home and cares for the two and a half kids or whatever, right? Um, uh, right. The data are kind of clearly showing, right, that that women are, um, you know, continuing to go into the workforce, continuing to earn their own money and continuing to have more decision making power over those uh, dollars that they're bringing into the household. 
Um, at the same time, though, right, uh, even while women are, I think, achieving a lot more equality in terms of, of um, pay, uh, there's still a lot of inequality in terms of unpaid work. Um, and in fact, there's some really interesting studies that I think highlight patriarchal norms. So, for instance, uh, several studies have found that um, within a household, if a woman starts to out-earn her male partner or husband, uh, the woman actually does more housework, right, and more childcare than she would before. And this is um, contrary to a lot of economic models, right? A lot of economic models would say, okay, we look at this family, we look at this household, and um, you know, people are going to specialize according to the comparative advantage. So whoever makes less money is going to do the the housework and childcare. Um, but we're seeing with empirical data, that's like absolutely not the case, right? Like all these kind of um, cultural and gender norms that have been imposed on us, right? And all these these patriarchal power structures that have been imposed on us are, uh, you know, making those types of economic models obsolete. And so uh, I think we need economic models to change, right? And to take kind of uh, the role of gender broadly more seriously, Um and I think that starts kind of, I mean, this is just my own bias because this is where I do my research, but I think that starts kind of within households and with a lens on uh, who's doing unpaid work, right? Because that's going to feed into uh, decision-making power and eventually who's going to be able to spend the money on these leisure activities like concerts and movies. That's really interesting insight. I wanted to end talking about the paradox of women's economic power as consumers versus their disadvantage in terms of earning potential and their lack of representation in decision-making roles. How might shifts in consumer behavior impact broader gender equity efforts? That's such a great question. And one that I don't know that I have a super good answer to. I mean, I think, again, it's super exciting to see women spending more money on their own leisure, right? I mean, that is a sign of, of progress and liberation. Um, but I do think we'd be kind of mistaken to think that this is, um, you know, changing economic systems in ways that will, um, you know, uh, free women of kind of economic oppression that they're already experiencing. Um, I mean, I'd like to think that more spending by women might mean more money flowing to women. And maybe that's the case. Uh, but I'm I'm also a little skeptical, right, that the money flowing to folks like, um, you know, Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie and Beyonce and Taylor Swift are really um, trickling down to working class women across the country, right? Just like men spending money on like football or the Avengers, right? Like that's not really trickling down to working class men in meaningful ways. Uh, so I think, you know, it's exciting to see more and more women at the top. Uh, but we also are going to need, I think, larger um, systemic and class-based change, and also uh, improvements in our care infrastructure to really see, um, you know, gender equality reach most women in America. Uh, but like you bring up such a good point about women's decision-making power, right? And I think there's definitely kind of reason for optimism here, given the success of these concerts and, and films, right? I mean, historically, again, women have always been um, big consumers, right? But it's often been on goods for the household or goods for, uh, you know, keeping up with like impossible patriarchal beauty standards, right? Um, so even when women, you know, were consumers in the past, the money-making decisions were largely for others or largely for like fitting into some type of like social structure that's 
you know, not necessarily beneficial for women. Um, but to see women spending money on things that just bring them joy seems to be a shift in, in what households are willing to spend money on, right? It's no longer uh, men who can enjoy an expensive night out, right? But it's it's women too. And I think that's something we should be celebrating. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing all of this wonderful insight. This has been a very thought-provoking conversation. So I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Of course. For those listening, stay tuned for more engaging discussions on our podcast, Be the Solution. Thank you for listening. And remember, each conversation can drive positive change. Until next time.